Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We have a special guest on the line who not only played under Ron Barassi, but was a friend of his and also played against Cowboy Neal. I speak of former Carlton Premiership player, and legendary commentator as well, Ian Robertson. He joins us on the line on this sad day and this sad weekend. Robbo, appreciate your time. I'll start off with Barass. What did he mean to you? Uh, the best thing I can say, uh, three people uh, had a big influence on my life. They were my father, Bert Deacon, who was secretary of the club, Brownlow medalist. Uh, he was a secretary of the club and then passed away in about the summer of 1972, I think. And uh, Ron Barassi. Um, uh, you know, I, I came across uh, Barass when I was 20 years of age. Um, I left the country. Uh, I worked in a in the ANZ Bank in Lock, which is near Currumburra. Yep. Uh, my parents lived in Montaggy, and uh, my dad took me to training, and I walked into the rooms. Gerald Burke was secretary, and I walked into the rooms, and Barass was on the rub-down table, and I didn't know whether to genuflect or bow. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah, he I just mean, had that aura, didn't he? Oh, look, uh, he was, you know, when, when, I, when I started in 1966, Barass had been uh, coach, captain and coach for 12 months. They finished the lowest they've ever finished uh, in 1964. And he, they took, and George Harris and his uh, uh, trustworthy group of uh, committee people decided that they were going to go for broke. And it was the biggest coup in football, without a doubt, when, uh, when they got him across from Melbourne. And he was a playing coach, you know, like a lot of people might... Uh, Red Hot Carlton people remember that he played. And he played with the 31 Guernsey. Yep. And, um, you know, just go back. If I was 20 in 1966, he's 10 years old and he's 30. So two years earlier, he's 28. Mm. And he's playing and he's coaching and a VFL club. So... It, it was a it was a big task. He had some terrific people. I mean, uh, Jack Rout was one of the people behind him, and um, Percy Bentley, who played football at Richmond. Jack Rout played football at North Melbourne and Carlton. They were two people that I remember. Bruce Combin, who was captain of Carlton, and uh, a, a, a mighty person, another mighty person. Um, so they had some. Not as distinct from today, where it's mainly business people that are running the football club and they, they mm. recruit people uh, to, to give them different titles uh, on the football side of it. Uh, in those days, they were people... Uh, we did have ex... Uh, like, business people, but ex-players uh, that were committeemen. And, and it was just a great place to be around. I mean, uh, within, um, within 12 months, we were in the finals in 1967 and... Twelve months later, we won the premiership. So it was an enormous time. 
No doubt. He was a giant of the game and still remains a giant of the game and always will be. We're speaking with Ian Robertson, multiple Carlton Premiership player back in the late 60s, early 70s. Robbo, what was Barras like as a person? Was he dictatorial at times? Was he fire and brimstone? Was he sensitive? Was he a master tactician? Was he all of those things? You just said it. <laughs> you just said it. I mean, uh, he, he had a... Uh, look, it's a, it's a tremendous ability to uh, to go uh, bang crash verbally, mm. um, but the um, the persona of the person meant that you listened and you, you took notice of someone who'd been involved in um, a football club that was dominant. You know, Melbourne were dominant. Uh, it took a mighty effort by Collingwood to break their run in 1958, and uh, I, th I think they won four out of five or something like that. Mm. So it, you know he was he was involved with Norm Smith. I, I, I met him. I, I actually knew Norm Smith's son Peter Smith, who played at Melbourne and Carlton. Yep. And I'm not sure whether I actually look. I probably did cross paths with Len Smith, who uh, takes a, a bit of a minor role. But uh, that Norm Smith and Len Smith were were the innovators of, uh, of football around about that time. That's right, and they mentored Barras, as we know, particularly Norm, and, and Lem was probably more the tactician, and Norm was a real motivator and probably had a combination of both of those things. Just in regards to the 1970 grand final, Robbo, everyone seems yeah, to everyone associate... Everyone gets back to that, don't yeah, they? they don't. What did he <laughs> say at half-time? Do you know what he actually said? Because we hear different things and obviously different reflections from people who were there. What did he say at yeah. half-time? Did he press for the handball? Well, obviously... But uh, what I remember coming off the ground, he just took us into the... You, you go off the ground into a big room, which you've probably seen on television now. It's the same sort of thing that many years ago. And then you go into the coach's room, which is a, a, just off the big room, and he, he let fly. I mean, he, he just... Um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't uh, castigating individual players. It was having a crack at uh, the group as a whole. And... Um, you know, Bert Thornley, um, uh, he was uh, replaced by Ted Hopkins. And uh, then when all, everything settled down, uh, and they'd, obviously the selectors, with Barras being the boss, had a chance to work out what they were going to do. Hopkins went on and uh, he finished up kicking, I think, three or four goals. And, uh, mm. uh, I mean, it, but it, the handball was one thing. But, um, but we had... Include, myself included, we had some very average players in the first half. Mm. Very, very average. I mean, David Mackay, Robert Walls. Um, look, I've, I'd probably have to put Nick in there and probably have to put Serge in there. But, you know, Jonesy was, was trying as hard as he could. Everyone tried as hard as they could, but it didn't matter. You know, we didn't have anything going at all, and we were that far behind you couldn't shoot us with a 303. <laughs> and we did, as I say, we had we had a lot of room for improvement because not too many players, you'd say, earned their dollar um, in the first half. And and the fact that it was handball, I mean, the most obvious was when Serge got the ball, I think, on the half back line, and uh, uh, we were we were going to try and kick the ball past Tomo. Tomo was six foot seven or something, and if you kicked it, he, he really had the height advantage and. That the idea was to get the handball past the man on the mark so that the player on the other side could run another two or three or five metres and kick the ball over Tomo's head. And that was, I think that was the plan. 
the handball was to uh, disrupt uh, any Collingwood resistance to us going forward when we had the ball. Um, and re- as I say, at, at half time, we had so many poor players that uh, really we could only improve, but we didn't expect to. Uh, you know, what I thought was um, his, his masterpiece, and I've said this before, um, psychologically, we, we, we were... We needed eight goals to get in front, and he. The thing I remember him saying was, "We've got to, we've got to outscore the opposition by four goals a quarter." Mm. So he broke the. The task was broken down into two quarters, not a half, and it made the task. It, you know, psychologically, that this is the way it hit me. It, it wasn't such a difficult task. It was a momentous task to outscore them by eight goals in half a game. But to outscore them by four goals a quarter, and when we did, like, we got back into the game, and at three-quarter time, I think he might have said then, you know, he was. Pr- I can't recall, but it's been uh, put on record that he said, I'm proud of you, you've, you know, you've made you've made this a game, and uh, whatever happens, well, I can't remember that, but I do remember being still needing about four goals at the 16-minute mark of the last quarter, and we won by... 10 points, so it was just a bit of an onslaught towards the finish you know, where goals were, Jez's goal was ridiculous, yes. you know he could the ball with his left foot from about, look I won't exaggerate, but he was, he, he has to have been 70 yards from goal, and he's kicked it with his left foot it's gone over the top of the people near the goal, and, and bounced and bounced through for a, a, probably bounced about might, must, might have carried about 8 yards yeah. in the old and, and, and the ball today, you can see the ball bounce anywhere, can't you? Yes. You know, the oval ball, was what, that's a unique part of our game. We play with an oval ball, we kick it, handball it, and uh, sometimes people throw it, but uh, when it bounces awkwardly, it can make you look like an idiot. Yeah, that's right, and that's just the fickle nature of the bouncing football. Triple Premiership player yep. for Carlton, Ian Robertson, yep. joining us. Just a last one on Barass, Robbo. I mean... I think Crackers Keenan once said that Ron Barassi was the most honest man he ever met. You knew where you stood with him. Was that the case with you? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there was no... Uh, uh, if, if, if it starts with B and ends in T and there's about eight letters in it, <laughs> there was none of that. Um, well, I, you know, I, that, that, that was my way of putting it. Uh, he was a straight shooter. Um, I think to a degree... Um, I was playing on Keith Gregg in, towards the end of um, his coaching and uh, I went into the doctor's area and I was sitting there just having a drink and uh, he came in and he started to have a crack at me about what Greg was doing and what I should have been doing. And, uh, you know, he was just... He was straight. But you, he didn't tell you anything that you, you, could, you could deny. He was just... He was talking about the fact that your performance was not up to the standard that they were looking for. Mm. And when I say they, I mean, there were, there were a big, besides him playing in the days when he, when he was playing coach, and then at the finish when he was, like, Lofsey, I think Lofsey got involved. Um, yep. uh, no, well, uh, I'm sure he, got, he was there somewhere, and um, oh, who else was, was helping him? I can't remember now, but there, there were always people, like, when he was... Um, uh, playing coach, it was Jack Routh. Uh, but then, when he was uh, on the boundary line or in the coach's box, it was uh, it was other people that were involved trying to give him the idea. But uh, 
generally, he ran the show, you know, and I think he he had a crack at uh, the really good players. I mean, he knew he could get a little bit more out of the really good players, and at that level, uh, a little bit more out of the really good players made a big difference. Absolutely, and he never played favourites, and I think he was always a person who emphasised that. He never wanted to play favourites as a coach, there's no doubt. Just before I let you go, Robbo, Kevin Cowboy Neal, what a character he was for St Kilda, played 256 games and kicked 301 goals between 1965 and 1977. You would have played against him for a period of that time, and he was the hero in that 1966 grand final. What are your recollections of playing against him? Because he was quite intimidating. Stay out of the road. <laughs> I mean, look, St Kilda, Carl Dittrich was playing. Um, I played, I probably would have spent a bit of football time on uh, Jimmy O'Day, Gary Colling. Uh, St Kilda were hard to beat. Uh, and, and they really were. I mean, football's changed a lot in the last 50 years. But in those days, you know, you, you manned up on each other. And he was he was a tough player. Um he was. I'm sure he was fullback when, um, um, at one stage, uh, and then wasn't that the case? He was fullback, and then he went back to full forward. And yeah, I think you uh, could be anyway, right. It doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, he, he, he was a really good player and, and very hard. Was a resting and back a pocket player. ruckman. He initially played in the back line. Was a resting back pocket ruckman, and then went up forward. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, you know, if you get a forward, or you had a forward in those days, that was a, a, a tough hard-nosed, he was hard to beat. You know, generally speaking, I mean, um, they're brilliant players. You know, the centre-half forward and the full forward are brilliant players. But if you had a hard nut, look, I didn't play full-back, but I did go to the back line one day at, against Hawthorne and had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And if you had a tough bloke there, like Hawthorne had tough blokes and St Kilda had tough blokes. And they were very hard to beat. But Cowboy... Look, he was a he was a colourful, very colourful character, a great St Kilda person, and look, I'm at the stage I feel a bit bit awkward because we've lost, um, mm. uh, and I'd like to pass this on if if people from the Nichols family, we lost Donnie Nichols yes. in the last um, three or four days, or I think he might have been gone for a little bit longer, but I knew him and he he was a terrific bloke. Um, I'm just trying to think there was... Some, and Look, I'd like to say another thing. It's got nothing to do with what you're ringing me about. Mm -hmm. But I found out that uh, we lost Gary Fenton. Yes, former Channel yeah, 7 but, producer. Oh, well, he employed me. He gave me a chance. I said, you know, what credentials have I got to do television commentary? He said, how many premiership teams did you play in? And he hung his hat on that. Mm. And he was a really good bloke. Gary Fenton was a terrific bloke. And I, I saw his, uh, uh, what he's got uh, in front of him uh, or the family have got in the way of memorabilia. What, would you like to go there? You'd have a party if you liked sport, wouldn't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that was fantastic. And, and, I, and as I say, look, look, don't let things go by without appreciating. And I will acknowledge, to one other thing. Yep. There were a lot of people at Carlton that played between 47 when they won a flag and 68 when we won the first one for 21 years. And I'd like to acknowledge a lot of the players. There was Barclay Cox and um, Johnny James and uh, Gordon Collis didn't get a chance to play in the, in the successful teams that, that I played in. But there were some terrific players went through that footy club in that 21-year period when we had the gap up until 1968. 
and and Barras was just a fantastic like just I mean you're busy uh, you probably uh, allocated a certain amount of time you could go on and on and on I, I'll tell you one little story yep, absolutely we had a we had a we had a trip to uh, mid-season trip to uh, Torquay where the, the committee and all the players that played on the Saturday um, were organised to jump in cars and go down to Torquay. And on that Saturday, Eric Sarich ran into Barras and I think he had a dislocated left collarbone or something like that. And when we got down there, he had his arm in a sling. You, you, you'll have uh, footage of him addressing us at three-quarter time with his arm in a sling yep. against the Swans, against South Melbourne, and I think it was at Princess Park. When we got down to Torquay, someone organised a table tennis tournament and we were all put in the draw. Let's say there were 32. So it was a 32-person draw. He played Gary Crane in the final. Yep. He just hit the ball with his right hand, his left arm in a sling, and that was the sort of person he was. Determination. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to kick, have kicked a kick with David Mackay because he said, I'll teach you. If, if you can mark while I'm up your end, then you'll be doing a good job. And all he did was niggle and drive David Mackay mad. And that was the sort of person he was. He was just so competitive with whatever he did. He appeared in a couple of champion kick events, probably more than two, and I reckon he won two of them on Channel 7, champion kick. Yes, yeah. And he had us in a a handball competition at one stage. And if if you were there in the studio, you would see the competitiveness... Of Ron Barassi, he just wanted to win everything. Didn't matter what it was, a game of marbles. I reckon you'd have battled to beat him at that. <laughs> no, terrific. Look, I'm glad you. That I'm glad you, you've given me the chance to say a few words, and I hope a lot of people who knew him uh, are listening because they all know what I'm talking about. Just a champion bloke, and uh, and he was very uh, influential on a lot of our lives. We were ten years younger than him. And he, he had a big influence on a lot of young people's lives. Just one more before I let you go, Robbo. Him as an innovator, mm. he started the Irish experiment, which brought Jim Steins to Melbourne, and he won a Brownlow medal. You know, he instigated that idea. He was a big advocate for the national competition and really changed the culture of the Sydney Swans and turned them around. Did you see him even back in those early days when he was coaching you at Carlton? Did you see him as a real innovator? Innovator, and what do you think is his contribution in that sense to the game? Is there anyone that could match him as an innovator? Uh, look, I think uh, Mick that left North Melbourne and became the boss of the VFL and decided they, that we needed a national competition. Uh, I, I think you'd have to give Mick Aylott a bit of credit yep. there. Um, but, uh, no, he, look, he was always thinking... Uh, we You'd do circle work, for instance, and circle work was all in the one direction. And a couple of times at, at training, he'd swap you around and say, you've got to go around the other way. So you were forced to kick with your unnatural side. Now, that was... Tell me whether that was innovative way back when. Yeah. I mean, apart from handball, uh, he was. Uh, I, he, he used to tell us in the scoreboard at Carlton was about forty or maybe you know forty-five yards from goal, and he'd say if you got the ball in the in the alongside the boundary line near the boundary line, don't go shooting for goal. He said, drop the ball in the goal square or in front of the goal square. We've got a better chance of kicking a goal from in front of the goal than you trying to snap one from 40 yards out on an angle. 
Mm. And that was, a, you know, that was something that I remember too. But he was, he was just a, a, a really good person who was so competitive at whatever he tried to do. Um, and, and look, that came out, I think, uh, with all the different things that happened. I mean, he, he was mad keen because of uh, his thoughts. He was mad keen on the national competition. So at the end, he was coach of Sydney mm. because he just had to stand by what he thought. Yep, and, and it was a, you know like it's, it's proven to be correct, yeah. hasn't it? You know we've got a great competition now. You know two teams in Perth, which is uh, pretty red hot Aussie rules. Two teams in Adelaide, which is uh, just rabbit Aussie rules, and and it's getting very good in Sydney and very good in Brisbane, and it's always been terrific in Melbourne. And uh, you know it'll be interesting to see how Tassie goes. That's right, and that's the national competition. That's the whole of Australia, isn't it? Exactly right. You know, one day, one day we might have a team in New Zealand because I think they play a lot. Oh, well, I think they play a lot of Aussie rules in, in New yeah. Zealand. My my son lives over there, and uh, he's telling me that his his son, who's about seven, my grandson, yeah, uh, that he's got the chance to have a kick of Aussie rules over there. Brilliant. So you just never know. I mean, it just it might become uh, even bigger and bigger in the future. But it, uh, you know, it might take a little while for New Zealand to come on board. But you never know. That's right, and there's a touch, of, a touch of irony, I guess, that Barass passed away on a weekend where Melbourne played Carlton, two of his great loved clubs, and uh, clubs that basically he made big contributions to, and then Port Adelaide v GWS, two sides that have only come into the competition within the last 30 years as part of its expansion. So there's a fitting yeah. element to that. Robbo, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us and recounting your memories of the great Ron Barassi and, of course, Kevin Cowboy Neal as well, who have both passed away over the last 48 hours. Thanks so much. Yeah, well, I send my best regards to both families.